Good evening, my Bible study crew and family. It's good to see you, good to have you with us, those who are in the building, as well as those who have connected online. It feels like forever since we've been together in this way. It's only been a couple weeks, but it seems like a long time. But I'm glad uh, to have you on, and we're going to bow our heads and pray. Of course, remember to like, share, comment, and remember we are here on uh, Facebook Live as well as on YouTube uh, and uh, after broadcasts be on YouTube and Facebook both. All right, let's bow our heads. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, praise you, love you, honor you, appreciate you for all that you are and all that you mean, God. We pray that you would bless this Bible study, that you would encourage us, lift us up, give us the words that would strengthen us to move into the direction that you have for us. And we thank you. I pray a special blessing on every hearer, every listener, as well as myself as the teacher, and we give you praise for it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, praise the Lord. Um, I wanted to go off of what Bishop preached, Apostle preached on Sunday, Apostle Sunday, and I, I thought the topic was very good, something that I think um, would benefit us. So we're going to look at it now. Let's pick it up. It was the power of humility. He was talking about the power of humility. And him and I both have been using this, um, these set of synonyms I think are important, uh, power synonyms. So looking at the powers of humility and power is control, authority, influence. And so instead of reading all of those that way, I'm going to tie them into humility. For us to be actually controlled by humility, to have our authority to be hooked up to humility our influence come from humility. Our dominance, our mastery and domination come from humility. To be ruled, commanded by humility, even our ascendancy, even when we are promoted, we are promoted in a way that represents humility. Our supremacy, dominion, sovereignty, jurisdiction, sway, weight, leverage, hold, grasp, and pull is all anchored in humility. And that makes me think of uh, the celebration that I had over the weekend and how that uh, the saints and friends and family celebrated my uh, 45th birthday as well as 10 years as being the pastor. And when people were saying uh, words about me, even in the cards that I got and the people who said things openly or said things to me, they all say that I'm a humble person, powerful, but humble. And that is a great compliment because when we are under the power of God, that power could go to our head because God's power is supernatural. So when you say things that benefit people's life and you encourage people or you have a prophetic word that's right, what people need, it can be a, uh, a situation where you start thinking it has something to do with you and you don't connect it to humility. We have to stay locked into humility because the power comes from God and not of us. It is a saying that the old saints used to say all the time that I truly understand now. They would always say, to God be the glory. If you tell them, man, you sang really, really good, and you're singing really blessed my soul, they would say, to God be the glory. In other words, I don't carry any glory. I don't get any glory out of this. God gets the glory for using me and being the vessel through me. And so when you understand that, you understand that it is actually the power of humility, and we'll go back and put that up side by side. It is the power of humility 
that strengthens us. Now, I'm going to say this uh, story that I've said several times, and many of you have already heard, heard this, but I think it just bears repeating. Now, one of the greatest lessons I learned early in life was when I learned that God spoke to me prophetically, and I would see and know things without knowing them. I would know them in what, I, what some people call in my knower or in my spirit. I would know things before my head even understood them. And so I remember sitting in front of the TV at my parents' house and an interview was taking place, something similar to like a Larry King. It wasn't that, but something similar where the host had a name and then they would flash the other person's face on the screen, but their name wouldn't come up yet. And so as soon as they flashed the other person's uh, face on the screen inside of me, I just knew that man is from Chicago. It's just, it wasn't like I've ever seen him before, but something inside of me just knew it. And I spoke it out and I said, that man is from Chicago. And then they flash his name on the screen as Dr. So-and-so from Chicago, Illinois. And then the next thing I said is like, man, I'm tight because I knew ahead of time, like a minute or two before I knew exactly what, uh, where he was from. And then the Lord spoke to me and said that is not of me. That is not from me. And I was extremely confused. I was like, how could it not be from you? And I knew it. He was like, there's no other way I could know, I could know it. And then he taught me a valuable lesson I've never forgot. He said, the reason why you know it wasn't from me is because once you said it, it gave glory to you. You didn't say, oh, God is amazing. You said, man, I am tight. He said, whatever I do, it always brings glory to me. Whatever Satan does will always bring glory to you. That taught me a valuable lesson that if it makes me feel special, it's the working of Satan. Even if God spoke it through me, it is God, it is Satan trying to twist it. Uh, another good example of that before we move on is Peter. Jesus makes a statement. He says, uh, who do men say that I am? And people gave different uh, ideas and Peter said, uh, you are the Christ or thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, Peter, but that was revealed by my Holy Spirit. You read a couple of verses down and Jesus says, I have to go to the cross. And Peter says, no, don't say that, Lord, you, you're not going to have to die. And Jesus pointed at Peter and said, I rebuke you, Satan. So in the span of a few minutes of time, you have Peter being used by the Holy Spirit and also used by Satan in just a few short uh, minutes. We don't know exactly in reading the, the story how long it was, but in the verses, it's just short. And that teaches us a lesson that God can use us and Satan can use us. And the only way we know the difference is through our humility. If we humble ourselves to be with God, God will get the glory. And if we operate in pride or arrogance, Satan will get the glory. And the good thing about Peter, he uh, when he got rebuked, he didn't get all mad. He humbled himself. So having said that, let's bring this point up that uh, Apostle talked about. I think it's good. And that's confidence versus arrogance. Confident is an assurance of faith or a trust in preparation. So there's nothing wrong with being confident and confidence is important in us walking in the power that we have walking in 
the anointing we have. I, I see Sister Kanika online, and uh, she spoke uh, Saturday, and she talked about the gift that she has and how she had to grow in confidence. And I was one of the people, me and my father, that helped give her the confidence to step into that gift. So when you do have some power from God and you're being used by God, you have to have a level of confidence. Because number one, our sins, our issues, our past will try to rob us of the confidence that we need to stand in the way we need to stand and be the vessel that we need to be and have the power that we need to have. Remember, when we talk about this uh, Bible study, we talk about being disciple makers. We are ones who are discipling others. And if you're going to be a disciple maker, you have to have some confidence. You have to have confidence in the way God uses you. You have to have confidence in your prayers. You have to have confidence in your study. You have to have confidence in the work that you've put in. Going back uh, to that definition, I'll bring it up. Uh, trust in preparation. If you have prepared, you have to have trust in it. When you go to a uh, interview and you have a resume, and your resume says you are qualified. When you go to the interview, it doesn't make sense for you to go with a lack of confidence. You have to go with confidence, trusting in your preparation, having assurance, having faith. Remember, faith is the substance of things hoped for. So there's nothing wrong with us being confident. But what Bishop is trying to point out, there is a thin line between confidence and arrogance. So we have to be, it's up to us not to slip into that thin line. Let's go to these words, the synonyms of competence, self-assurance, belief in oneself, nothing wrong with those things, faith in oneself, positiveness, assertiveness, having nerve or gumption, poise, presence of mind, level-headedness, courage, boldness, fortitude. Those are all signs of competence and the greats, especially the uh, athletic greats, those are all synonyms that you see of them, not just the athletic greats, but let's say our celebrities, the, the Denzels of the world. When, when he gets on stage, you see he exudes confidence. Even when it's not the movie and he's talking about the movie or he's on the red carpet, there is a confidence. Certain people have a self-assurance, a confidence because they trust the preparation and the work that they've done. And there's nothing wrong with that. As Christians, we're taught so much about humility that sometimes we get in false humility and we lack confidence. And so when it's time to step up to the plate, we shrink back and God is really trying to use us. So we should have confidence. We never have arrogance. We should have confidence. So confidence is good for those uh, in the building. I want you to just repeat this after me and those online, you can just type it in the confident type it in the comments. And what we're going to say is I am confident. Say it with me. I am confident. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing with speaking yourself up. Now, remember when we say I am, we're talking about the I am that I am, which is God. So whatever we say after the I am, we're saying that the I am will help us to be that. So let's say it again. I am confident. So that's powerful. Now, here is a word that I've made up that's not a uh, real word. I'm actually going to uh, try to write that on the screen for us. It's a, it's a made up word. But it's a word that I really love, even though, like I said, it's not a real word. It's called. Godfidence. 
that my real confidence comes from my position in God. So I am Godfident. When God has worked in your life and God has strengthened you, you have confidence, not just in you, but you have confidence in the God that is in you. God is in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And so that gives me confidence or confidence. In other words, my confidence is rooted in the God in me. Without God, there's a song that the old saints used to sing, and they would say, I'm like a ship without a sail. Without God, I'm lost. I'm nothing. I'm a nobody. Without God, with God, I have confidence, or there is a confidence in me. All right, now let's contrast that like uh, our apostle contrasted. that. Let's contrast it with this. We're going to actually go back one more. Arrogant. Arrogant is an exaggerated view of oneself. Nothing worse than dealing with an arrogant, narcissistic person where they have an exaggerated view of themselves and everything starts, begins, and ends with them. They don't have a mindset of to God be the glory. They have a mindset of look at me, look at me, look at me. Now, some people will say with their mouth to God be the glory, but their actions show they want the glory. Worship me. Praise me. There are some people who hide their arrogance in humility. I'll give you an example of that. Oh, I don't want any accolades. I don't want anybody to say anything about me. You know, I just do what I do for the goodness of the church. However, when their name isn't called out, they're mad at everybody for weeks and months on the end. Because truth of the matter is they are arrogant and they're hiding it in humility. And they're trying to act like they don't want accolades, but they do want accolades. Pastor says he shouted out everybody but me. He talked about everybody who gave him money and he didn't say my name. I shoot, see if I give him some money again because it wasn't done from the real heart. They wanted to be celebrated. They wanted to be seen. And sometimes God will make humans in your life forget about you just to test you. They may have good intentions. They may have it written in their notes to uh, thank openly someone and something happens and it doesn't uh, it doesn't go out. Let me give you an example of that. Just I'm throw out a, a random example of how this could work. So on the live uh, stream, you're not in the building. You're on the live stream. And in the building, uh, the pastor is calling out names and celebrating people. And he celebrates your name, but the mic goes out over the Internet. And the one name you didn't hear was your name, even though in person, he actually shouted your name out. And now you mad for months because he talked about everybody but me. And you don't have the humility to go to the pastor and ask, you know, why did you leave me out and find out the real story? But you're secretly upset. And that is the trick and the trappings of pride. Now, I know that's just a random example, but things like that happen in church and things like that causes church splits. And it's like the simplest of mistake, but God is trying to show people where they are. So we have to be careful that we don't walk in that because if there is a power in humility, there is a power that comes from arrogance. 
So there is a false and negative power that comes from the opposite. All right, let's see if we can go to some uh, synonyms. So here's some synonyms of, of arrogance. Conceit, self-importance, egotism, sense of superiority, boasting, condescension, disdain, contempt, pride, vanity, snobbishness, pretentiousness, scorn, mocking, and scoffing. I'm going to look at those last three just for a second. Scorn, mocking, and scoffing. And uh, I would say that if you look in Proverbs, you see those three a lot. The, the, The Proverbs will say, the wise do this, but the scoffer does this, or the wise will do this, but the scornful will do this. The wise will do this, but a mocker will do this. So it seems to suggest that anybody that functions consistently in arrogance is an unwise person. You you have to be extremely unwise to be overly arrogant because all of our breath is borrowed breath. We are breathing the breath of God. We are breathing the oxygen of God. So if God would hold his breath for one minute, and since he does not exist in time, he exists in eternity, the whole world would die in one minute if God withheld his breath. You you can't even control your breaths. You don't know how many breaths you're going to get. You don't know when your dying day is going to come. You don't know when you're going to wake up and not be up in this life and wake up on the other side. There are so many things outside of our control. How could we ever be arrogant? Scripture says we can't add stature to ourselves. We can't make ourselves taller. We can't add hair to our head. We can't choose our skin color. We can't choose our parents. We can't choose our siblings. There are so many things outside of our control. So why would we use the God's power and what he's doing in our life to get the big head and be arrogant. No, we should always defer toward humility because there's power in humility and there is a reverse evil, wicked power in arrogance. And I, I really, really wish I could get off of this topic, but I keep coming back to it because it's it was the thing that we've seen so readily and uh, in in the last four years when we were under the Trump administration, he was a man that I believe exhibited narcissistic traits and narcissistic behavior, uh, a pride that really pointed to me, 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 always. And uh, I think it was on display, not just because uh, Donald Trump is a bad person per se, but God allows certain people to get in leadership to show us examples of what to do and what not to do. You do not only learn from good leadership, you learn just as much from bad leadership. Bad leadership teaches you what you should be doing once it's your turn to uh, be in power. The problem is sometimes people who have been under bad leadership so long, they end up, um, if if you don't understand it, if you don't pay attention to it, you'll end up doing the very thing that you hate. And the prime example of that is children who've been abused. When children have been abused, they will say, I will never abuse my children. I will never do that. But then they grow up to do the same thing. And this is the understanding that you need to know is that bad leadership puts out a pattern in your life. 
And if you're not careful and if you're not proactive without knowing it, that pattern will be repeated by you, even though you didn't like it when you were under it. So if you have a domineering boss, I've seen people where we had a boss that was that was a horrible boss and we are all working together talking about, man, we can't wait till we get another boss. And then one of us from the group actually gets elevated to become a boss and they become worse than the boss that we were talking about. So you have to be very careful because there's something in human nature that says when I get in power, I'll revert toward that arrogant, narcissistic, prideful way. Remember, pride is the original sin. The original sin is not Adam and Eve in the garden. No, because Satan is the one who tempted Adam and Eve. So how did Satan even get to the earth? He got kicked out of heaven because of his original sin of pride. And he said, I will overthrow God. I will overthrow the one who created me. Remember, Lucifer was created by God, was given everything by God, and then got caught up in what he had and said, I'm better than God. So pride is the original sin. It's very subtle. It's very sneaky. And we have to be careful of it. So we want to lean toward the power of humility. All right, we're going to go to this uh, scripture. Uh, second, uh, uh, it was Apostle's second point, but it's Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So look at this first verse. It says, if there be... If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels and mercies, this is the King James Version, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And then it adds this, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Paul is writing to the church of Philippi and he was giving them these key ingredients to really be powerful. And he said one of the best ways for you to be powerful or to even be a disciple maker is you have to esteem others better than yourself. You have to learn how to um, not be the most important thing in the room, so to speak, not to be the most uh one who thinks you need the most attention. So let's say you are a disciple maker. If you have been coming to church and you've been growing, then the key is to realize, okay, yes, I'm growing, but there's somebody around me that isn't growing. I've got to esteem them better than myself. And I got to figure out a way to get the knowledge that I have. And I've got to give it to them. I've got to make sure they get it. Uh, let's give it the example of marketing. They say word of mouth is still the greatest form of marketing. Even before television, social media, the internet, and all those things, way, way, way back in the older days, still things were marketed and people knew about things simply through word of mouth. It goes something like this, and we do it even in today's age. You go and you're eating at a restaurant, and you taste the best dish you've ever tasted. What you immediately think, those who are not prideful, those who esteem others, what you immediately think is, man, I got to tell somebody about how good this is, because you want them to experience what you experience. 
people who are prideful, they don't care about anybody else. They're just happy. I'm at the restaurant. I'm eating good food. And I'm not going to tell nobody what I'm eating because I don't want nobody to know. I want to keep this secret all to myself. But then there's other people that says, man, I want to let other people know. Then there are people who take pictures of the food to post it on the Internet, not to say, look at me, I'm at a fancy restaurant. It's to say, hey, get down here and get some of this. This is great. This is awesome. So there's two different mindsets. Which mindset are you? Do you, you esteem others better than yourself? When you're on vacation, do you think about others and say, man, I can't wait to take pictures? Not to say, look at where I am. I want to show someone else, man, you can go here too. And it's not that expensive. I'll help you book the tickets, but you got to before you die. You got to get here. You got to be here because you esteem yourself uh, not as better than others. You esteem your others better than yourself and you want everybody to share in things together or do you just want to hoard everything to yourself? Now, there's a saying that's out that says we need to move in silence. And I get it. I understand that you don't tell everybody what you're doing, but there ought to be somebody that you tell because you want people to enjoy what you're enjoying. If you got a breakthrough book that made a breakthrough in your marriage, share that with someone else. If God showed you a scripture that revolutionized how you are handling your adult children, share that with someone else because you esteem others better than yourselves. In other words, you don't think only about you. You think about yourself. Now, the idea of this is set in this acronym, the acronym JOY, J-O-Y. I think I, I have time to actually write this on the screen. So let, let me go back to my screen. J-O-Y, joy. And what that means is Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. That's the best way to move and function in true joy. Jesus first, then others, and then yourself. Now, if you have low self-esteem, you don't ever take care of yourself. And we have to fix that. We have to get people to do what we call self-care and love themselves. But once you have loved yourself and brought yourself up to the level it should be, then it should be that order, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, and then myself. And we want to love people as we love ourselves. So esteeming others and putting others in front of us, that is a good thing to do. Now, we don't want you to forget yourself. And those who forget themselves, they're in what we call false humility, and they're not taking care of themselves at all because you can't love your neighbor as yourself if you don't love yourself. So we need you to love yourself, be healthy, do all the things you need to do. But once you're doing that, the mindset should always be J-O-Y, Jesus, others, and then myself last. All right, let's go back to the scripture. Philippians 2.4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Very simple truths that Paul is teaching, things that for us who are living our vision every day, these are things that we should really know and understand. Let's put it side by side. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Another example, you at the store and you see a great sale on milk. People know Apostle Mitchell loves, loves milk. 
So you just simply make a call to Mother Mitchell to, to him. Hey, there is a sale on milk. You, you need to get down here. The sale ends at such and such a time because you're thinking about someone else. You may not have the money to buy yourself milk and him, but you're at least thinking about someone else. And it's just that mindset that says we do life together. And I'm not just looking at me. I'm not materialistic. It's not always about me. When I get to the door first, it's okay for me to back up, open the door, and let someone behind me get in front of me. There's ways when I'm driving in traffic, even though traffic is big and I see someone uh, trying to get out, I can stop and wave them and let them get in. I'm not just thinking about myself. That's the idea that Paul is trying to share and trying to teach. All right, let's go to verse five. He brings it on home by saying this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now he's, he's pointing to this and he's saying, I'm not just bringing these things out of thin air. I'm actually going to let you know that this is the very way our savior operated. And there was no one who walked the earth greater than Jesus, but this is the mindset he had. So if you don't believe what I just told you about putting others first and all that, Paul says, how about this? How about you have the same mind of as Christ did? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So Jesus, even though he is what we call the the one of the the portions of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, he didn't feel himself or robbery to be equal to God or equal to the Father. He had an equal part to play in uh, in the the fullness of who he was. To give you an example, I am both a father and I'm a husband, so. I equally bring a certain amount of love to both of those roles. As husband, I give my wife everything I can. As father, I give my children everything I can. So there is equality on those levels. And Jesus was equal to the father in the earth. And even though he knew that, he did not make that his goal or focus. When he walked the earth, he didn't always talk about, look at me, look at me, look at me. He always said, look at my father, my father in me. He does the work. Now, Paul is saying he had a right to be on equal level with the father, but he was always humble. He always humbled himself because he knew the father was working in him. And that's the same mindset that we have to have and we have to work through. All right, let's go back to our scripture. Philippians 2, 7, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So this takes it even further that Jesus actually stripped himself of everything. The scripture says that without him, nothing in the world would consist because the world was framed by the word of God. It was framed through Jesus himself. When God spoke the word, when the father spoke the word, it was through Jesus that things were happening. So when God said, let there be light, that happened through Jesus. But he stripped himself of all of that and came in the likeness of man. So when Jesus showed up on the earth, he was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. He was humanity and divinity. And because he had that mixture, that really cost him to 
lose really everything that he was. In other words, he had to wrap his divinity in humanity. So that meant he got hungry like we get hungry. And he's the God of the universe. There's no reason why he should get hungry. No reason why he should get sleepy. The Bible says God neither slumbers nor he does he sleep. But he wrapped his divinity in humanity. So he was on the earth. He got sleepy. He got hungry. The scripture says he was tempted in all points like we were. So he was then able to be tempted by sin. He was over Lucifer, greater than Lucifer. But when he got on the earth, he was able to be tempted by Satan. He wrapped himself in flesh, in humanity. Not only that, but when he shows up, there is no room for him in the end. And he's born laying in a manger with the animals, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Every one of those animals are there because of him. The whole earth is there because of him, but yet he brought himself so low, stripped himself of his reputation because he was humbling himself for the greater good of what he was trying to do. Now, don't tell me that Jesus can do all that and then you get a title and you can't be humble. You want people to kiss your ring because you're the apostle, you're the bishop. Go on somewhere. You put your pants on just like everybody else. You put, let me be more crash. You put your drawers on like everybody else. You got to go to the bathroom like everybody else. And if you eat too much food, you're going to fart like everybody else. You're not that special. You're not that great. So humble yourself. Because remember, we talked about it in a few Bible studies before. If you don't humble yourself, you will have to be humbled. And so it's either humility or it's humiliation. And we don't want to be humiliated. So what we do, we decide and we choose humility. All right, let's go back to the scripture and let's see how he took it even further. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Not only did he come here as a man, but he was willing to die and not just willing to die. So. What, what if it was like, okay, I'm going to have to die for the sins of everybody, but I'm just, I just, I want to die in my sleep. Now, that'll be easier. Wouldn't it be a lot easier for Jesus just to die in his sleep and then be resurrected? No, he chose the most horrible way to die. He chose to die a death on the cross, being crucified. And not only that, but having God pour all his judgment out on him. In other words, every sin you've ever committed in your life, past, present, and future, including everybody on the entire planet, God poured all that wrath out on Jesus, and Jesus accepted it. He became the molester on the cross. He became the most vile, sinful person, the most wicked thing you can think of. He became that on the cross, so much so that God couldn't look on his own son and had to turn his back on him. And Jesus had to cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it's because he carried every single sin. Jesus did not have to do that. In the middle of it, he could have called for legions of angels and said, get me down off this cross. But no, he accepted. He humbled himself and became obedient unto the most vile death, was beat mercifully, unmercifully, excuse me, 
unrecognizable. They pulled his beard out. They put a crown of thorns on his head that had poison in the tip of the thorn. So that meant he was itching all over his body because it would go into his head and sin in his nerves, sin itching all over his body. But his hands were pierced and he couldn't scratch. His feet was pierced and he couldn't scratch. He couldn't breathe because crucifixion was you were supposed to fill up with your own blood and you die because you couldn't even breathe. He died the most horrible, excruciating, crazy death. And you mean to tell me you can't humble yourself. And Jesus did that for all of humanity. And remember this, the scripture says, but Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. There was no sinless per person. It wasn't like he said, oh, there's one sinless person. So at least I'm dying for them. Every person he died for was full of sin and he died anyway, humbled himself, did it anyway. And you mean to tell me you walking around with the big head or like they used to say, you smelling yourself. You are absolutely crazy. We don't own anything. Even if you get the best car in the world, you can't take it with you. You can't put it in the casket. Even if you are a billionaire, you can't put that money in the casket. At the end of the day, we are nothing. We're nothing but dust and dirt. And we return back to that. Our body decomposes and we're nothing but a skeleton. Our bones are, we're nothing and we are everything with God. So we always remember that and we should choose humility. I should never have to even preach on humility. It's something we should automatically choose knowing that the greatest person on the face of the earth, the greatest human on the face of the earth chose the lowest example and he chose to humble himself. All right, let's read some more. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Now, here's the flip side of it. When we choose to humble ourselves, God chooses to exalt us. So even though God turned his back on his son momentarily, he didn't leave him there. He raised him up with all power in his hand. He raised him up and he's now seated at the right hand of the father. Remember, he didn't feel robbery to be equal with the father and the father felt the same thing, but they chose for the sake of us, for him to die, for him to come into earth, for him to lower himself. But God says, if you would lower yourself for me, I will raise you up. So when the, here's the problem for us humbling ourselves is when we humble ourselves, oftentimes people get over on us. When we humble ourselves, oftentimes people take advantage of us. So sometimes we don't always want to choose the path of putting others first because we put others first all our life and it left us in the dark, in the cold. In my marriage, I put my husband first and he still cheated on me and he still left me. In raising my kids, I put them all first, but then they got old and they disrespected me. So the life that we live sometimes makes us think that Choosing humility is the weak way out. It's the worst way. No, I'm not doing that anymore. But here's the thing I want to tell you. Don't be weary in well-doing because you will reap if you faint not. God will exalt you if you would humble yourself. Now, I can't tell you when it's going to happen. 
I can't even tell you how it's going to happen. All I know that God will exalt you. God will raise you up. The Bible says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it dwells in us. So God will raise you up. And I say it all the time, especially in Bible study, even if it doesn't happen in this life, we are guaranteed heaven and a life to come. Whatever you don't get here, you're going to get there. You are not going to lose by humbling yourself in this life. You are always going to win. Thanks be to God that always causes us to triumph. So you're not going to lose doing it God's way. Don't let the devil trick you. Don't let the devil fool you. God's way is best. God's way is going to get you the best results in the end. Well, pastor, I sold in the offering and I'm still broke. Well, pastor, I prayed for the sick and I'm sick myself. I understand that because we live in the fallen world and things happen to us. But I promise you that the end of our life is always going to be better if we choose humility. And when you take your final breath, there's going to be some rewards that you never could have got here that you're going to get over there. So trust the process. Believe in the process. Don't choose the easy way out. Don't choose the prideful way. Choose God. Choose humility. Because in the uh, in the instance of Jesus, it worked out for him. He's now seated at the right hand of the Father. It worked out for him, so it will work out for you. Let's go back. I'm going to put it side by side. It says, and it's given him a name which is above every name. And well, I'll go to the next verse that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things of under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. So Jesus did all the hum uh, humbling himself that he needed to do. But at the end of the day, he got a name that is above every name. And it says at that name, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. So that means people who decided not to choose God and they decided they want to choose the path that ends them up in hell. In the scripture that in hell, they'll have to lift up their eyes and they'll have to say that Jesus is Lord. Satan himself is going to have to say Jesus is Lord. So why? Should we be in pride and have to be humble later on in life? No, I choose the name of Jesus right now. I pray in Jesus name. I worship in Jesus name. I'm saved in Jesus name. I'm wealthy in Jesus name. I'm healthy in Jesus name. I'm anointed in Jesus name. Everything you see in me is because of the name that is above every name. Cancer has a name, but it's not a name greater than the name of Jesus or Yeshua, Hamashiach, the Christos, the anointed one, the, the, the great I am and the shepherd of the sheep. Yes, broke has a name, but it's not a name greater than the name of Jesus. So depression has a name, but it's not a name greater than the name of Jesus. Anxiety has a name, but it's not a name greater than the name of Jesus. Sexual promiscuity has a name, but it's not a name greater than the name of Jesus. At the end of the day, if we have the name of Jesus, we are the ones that's going to win. So I beg of you, choose humility. There's power in humility and there's power in his name. How about we just try to let somebody just say the name Jesus.
Amen. The name of Jesus or Jehovah, Yeshua. Some people uh, talk about the name Jesus because it's actually a transliterated name in the English. So they say we don't like the name Jesus. Well, you can go back to the name Yeshua, which is his real Hebrew name. And the name means the Lord saves. That's what it means. So since his job is to save and deliver, why would I choose pride? I'm going to choose humility so that when he does deliver me, he can deliver me over the stuff I really need delivered over. See, it doesn't getting into pride is really stupid. Now, there's other things we can be tempted to get into, but pride is one of the things we should never be tempted into. So I'm not going to waste Jesus time having him deliver me from pride when it's stupid for me to even be prideful when I'm nothing but a bag of dirt. I may be a good looking bag of dirt. And you may be a good looking bag of dirt, but at the end of the day, you're just a bag of dirt. And when you die, you're going to go back to that. And when you dust in your house, 80% of the dust in your house is from your own body. It's from the deadness of your skin. So all that, ooh, where all this dust came from? It came from your old dusty self, which your good looking, smart and dusty self. So it doesn't make sense for us to be prideful. We should choose humility and uh, repeat that after me say I choose humility all right remember we first said I am confident but the reason why you can be confident is because you choose humility because your confidence is in Godfidence your confidence is in God let's let's go to this uh, passage of scripture James 4 6 to 17 but he giveth more grace Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Here is another simple reason for us to choose humility, because we all need grace. We all need God's grace. And the scripture says, let's put it side by side. He giveth more grace. So you can have grace and you can have grace and you can have grace. But he giveth more grace. Who does he give more grace to? He gives more grace to, at the end, he says, he giveth grace unto the humble. But then in the middle, it throws this in. He resisteth the proud. So you could be doing what God wants you to do, and he still resists you. Well, why? I'm, I, I'm giving an offering. I'm coming to church. I'm reading the Bible. But things just aren't working for me. Because God is resisting you because you're too proud. You're too prideful. And all he wants you to do is humble yourself so that he can do what he needs to do. Another way to say it is he needs you to get out of his way. You've done the things that you need to do for him to bless you, but you're still in his way because you're too prideful. You want it done the way you want it done. You want it. You want to be blessed the way you want to be blessed. You want it your way and God is saying I, I want to bless you but you just keep getting your hands in it and you keep doing things your way every time I'm about to send something your way you get in there and mess it up because you think you know everything you done worried all night long and you done come up with a plan and the plan you done come up with is opposite of what God is trying to do so he has to resist you so sometimes when things aren't working Right. Sometimes you have to figure out, am I getting in God's way? 
Maybe I need to get out of his way because he resists the proud, but he actually gives more grace to those who are humble, those who consistently choose humility. Let's go back to the scripture. And this is how we do that. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I'm going to go back to the previous verse. It says, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud. And then it says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. And then it tells us to resist the devil. See if I can unpack that a little as we come to a close. So it seems a little confusing because one moment it says that God, it looks like he's saying God is resisting us. The next verse, it tells us to submit and resist the devil. I'll say, okay, God, what are you talking about? Are you talking about you resisting us or are you talking about us resisting the devil? Are you talking about us getting out of your way? I'm a little confused at what you're talking about, God. So let me give you the revelation. God resisted the proud. So what God does, he resists the devil through you. But when you allow the devil to work through you, he has to resist you. But what he wants to do, he wants to resist the devil through you. But then now he has to resist you. Going all the way back to the example I gave of Peter, Peter knew you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus starts talking about having to go to the cross. And Peter gets up and saying, no, Jesus, you don't need to die. Don't say that. And then Jesus had to tell Peter, I rebuke you, Satan, because now Satan is operating through Peter and God resists the proud. So let's put that verse up side by side. Submit yourself to God. So as long as we are submitted to God, then we can't be submitted to the devil. We can't be submitted to the devil and God at the same time. So if we're submitted to God, we're not allowing the devil to work through us. And then we're able to resist the devil. And guess what he will do? He will flee from you. Why will he flee from you? Because when he sees you, he sees God working in you. When the devil won't run away from you, it's because he doesn't see God in you. It's not that he's scared of you. He's scared of the God that's backing you up. But when we are not submitted to God, guess who the devil doesn't see? He doesn't see God. All he sees is you. Um, there was In Acts, there was something called uh, the seven sons of Sceva. And they were uh, working in witchcraft and doing all kinds of things. And so there were these people that came and they tried to cast the demons out of the seven sons of Sceva. And those sons beat those people to a pulp. And uh, I'm paraphrasing, but then they said this. They said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who are you? The demons said that to them. Like, who are you trying to rebuke me? And they they physically beat them up because they're saying, I don't, I, all I see is Andre. So if I try to rebuke the devil in, in my Andre-ness, the devil is more powerful than me and he will wear me out. But if I rebuke the devil and he sees God backing me up, guess what the devil will do? He will run. He's not running from me. He's running from the God in me. But if I'm not submitted to God, then uh, if I'm not submitted to God, then all is seen is me. And the reason why I paused there, because I thought about maybe an example that I could do that uh, that might work real quick. 
Now, the um, the root word of the word submit is the word sub, which means under. Let, let me take some time and, and go to my whiteboard and put that up. So we have this word. We have the word submit. That word there means this. It means under. So if we are submitted to God, what are we? We are actually under God. So here's the, the thing that I thought of doing. And I, I think I can do it where it makes sense. So I have this camera on me so everybody can see me. But I'm actually going to get under the table. And when I get under the table, I want to know, can you still see me? So here I go, getting under the table. Now, can you see me? Can you see the chair? You can see the chair, but you can't see me. Now, let's say that I'm representing God. And Satan tries to come after Andre, but he sees God. He's going back up and he's going to flee. But if I am not under God the way I need to be, guess what? He's not going to see. He's not going to see God. So I mean that that's a uh, just an example I just threw out there. But we want to get under to where all Satan sees is God. He doesn't see us. If we are up and he sees us, he's always going to think, "Oh shoot, I can attack them. They not." I don't, he don't care how many scriptures we know. He don't care how much praise we know. If he sees a whole bunch of us, he knows he can take us. But so let's let's put it back up again. Resist the devil and he will free, flee from you. All right, I want to close by uh, reading this. This is a, a good way to do it. So so how do we actually get under God? So I, that's that's a cute example, Pastor Andre. But how do I actually get under God? the table like you did because you know how do I do that here's the way to do it the scripture way draw nigh to God he will draw nigh to you cleanse your hands ye sinners and purify your hearts ye double-minded so the answer is when we draw close to God he draws closer to us and guess what people see they see the God in us so when you're coming to Bible study and tuning in online you are actually getting closer to God the closer you get to God, the closer God gets to you. And then it comes a time where people no longer see you, they see God. Amen. It's the power of humility. I'm going to take some time and get uh, our people offline and have uh, just some open discussion. But for those online, I thank you for being with us. We're going to actually go into a prayer and let you be dismissed. But. Let's uh, let's bow our heads and pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, praise you, love you, honor you, appreciate you. God, we thank you that you are giving us the wisdom to choose humility and choose you. And we choose humility by drawing closer to you because the closer we draw to you, the more we see how much we are nothing without you. And we know that Satan cannot override us. He cannot win the victory over us as long as we are submitted to you and under you and under your authority. And we are lifting up the name of Jesus, which saves and delivers. So God, I thank you for it. Touch every one of those listening and those who may not be saved. God, give them the heart 
to be saved, to, to reach out to you and ask you to come into their life so that they can be submitted to you and they can be disciple makers like we are becoming disciple makers. And we thank you for it. And one day we will all meet together in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, saints. Love you. Andre Mitchell Ministries signing off. Have a great day. Saints in the building, we will get into our open discussion now.